0: If you have your Bibles, we'll be turning to Genesis 41, Genesis 41. And so we're going to continue to talk about the story of Joseph, the life of Joseph. That's a series that we're on for the past few weeks. We're going to continue that study. And last week in our sermon, we talked about that in the middle of uncertainty, especially with what was happening in Genesis 40, we looked at there was some uncertainty, but in that we saw Joseph's knowledge, right? We knew that Joseph knew that his ability to interpret dreams came from God. Not only that, we knew that Joseph knew God. Also, we talked about Joseph's courage, right? That we talked about that in, while he was interpreting the dream, we knew that the interpretation himself was from God and he was able to speak the truth, not only to the cupbearer, but to the baker, as well the cupbearer lives and the baker died and he told both of them the truth and that took courage we also looked at Joseph's desperation right right in the middle of him interpreting the dreams for the cupbearer and the baker he was saying get me out of this prison tell pharaoh that I'm put here unjustly get me out of here and so in that very human experience we know that we can all relate to that why? Because we are all born desperate, right? We're in desperate need of a Savior. And so those were the three scenes that we looked at last week in our sermon. And so we're going to pick back up on Genesis 41, and we're going to look at Pharaoh's not one dream, but two dreams in Genesis 41. But before we do that, I have a question for you all. Do you have everything under control in, in your life right now? everything's under control? I see some of you like, no, no. If you think back like at least a year and a half or so, then I should get a resounding no, a resounding no, to if you have everything under control in your life, right? Hinting at the pandemic that's been going on, shaking things up. So much has changed, right? Your jobs have changed, finances have changed, your health has been affected as well but I think about the youth in particular. I was reading an article from the American Medical Association and they said that in the last year and a half or so, in the youth specifically, depression and anxiety has doubled. And I guess my heart goes out to the youth specifically because when you think about the youth, or at least when I think about the youth, I mean, they feel like they have things under control when they have their routines and schedules set in place. But when you have a pandemic, you take that and you throw everything up on its head. What does that look like? Missed milestones, birthdays that people can't join in and celebrate with. You also have the whole, you know, jumping in back in school in person and then going back to remote learning and then going back to school and then going back remote. Also, there's this social distancing, which for some people, some youth, it's social isolation. So if you were to ask that question, do you have everything under control, they would say no too. In this passage, there are some things that are out of people's control. There are some things in this passage that are out of Joseph's control. There are things that are out of Pharaoh's control, even the nation of Egypt's control. But in that, we're going to see God's providence shine through and how that's leading us all to his mission. So that's how I'm going to split up Genesis 41, looking at God's providence and God's mission. Just a quick heads up, this scripture, this passage is pretty long. So as I'm reading it, I'll break up the passage into two scenes, and I'll skip the couple of verses where Pharaoh is repeating himself, repeating his dreams to Joseph. So that's how I'll break it up. And so, if you have your Bibles, we'll start off with Genesis 41. When two full years had passed, Pharaoh had a dream. He was standing by the Nile when out of the river there came up seven cows, sleek and fat, and they grazed among the reeds. After them, seven other cows, ugly and gaunt, came up out of the Nile and stood beside those on the riverbank and the cows were ugly and gaunt. They ate up the seven sleek, fat cows. Then Pharaoh woke up. He fell asleep again and had a second dream. Seven heads of grain, healthy and good, were growing on a single stalk. After them, seven other heads of grain sprouted, thin and scorched by the east side, east wind. The thin heads of grain swallowed up the seven healthy, full heads. Then Pharaoh woke up. It had been a dream. In the morning, his mind was troubled, so he sent all the magicians and wise men of Egypt. Pharaoh told them his dreams, but no one could interpret them for him. Then the chief cupbearer said to Pharaoh, today I am reminded of my shortcomings. Pharaoh was once angry with his servants, and he imprisoned me and the chief baker in the house of the captain of the guard. Each of us had a dream the same night, and each dream had a meaning of its own. Now a young Hebrew was there with us, a servant of the captain of the guard. We told him our dreams, and he interpreted them for us, giving each man the interpretation of his dream. And things turned out exactly as he interpreted them to us. I was restored to my position, and the other man was impaled. So Pharaoh sent for Joseph, and he was quickly brought from the dungeon. When he had shaved and changed his clothes, he came before Pharaoh. Pharaoh said to Joseph, I had a dream, and no one can interpret it. But I have heard it said of that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. I cannot do it, Joseph replied to Pharaoh, but God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. Let's jump down to verse 25. Then Joseph said to Pharaoh, The dreams of Pharaoh are one and the same. God has revealed to Pharaoh what he is about to do. The seven good cows are seven years. And the seven good heads of grain are seven years. It is one and the same. The seven lean, ugly cows that came up afterward are seven years. So are the seven worthless heads of grain scorched by the east wind. They are seven years of famine. It is just as I had said to Pharaoh. God has shown Pharaoh what he is about to do. Seven years of great abundance are coming throughout the land of Egypt. But seven years of famine will follow them. Then all the abundance in Egypt will be forgotten, and the famine will rage the land, ravage the land. The abundance in the land will not be remembered, because the famine that will follow will be so severe. The reason the dream was given to Pharaoh in two forms is that the matter has been firmly decided by God, and God will do it soon. Let's pray. Father God, first of all, we want to thank you for your word. Thank you that we're able to see how you have the favor on Joseph, even in this passage, where we can't understand quite everything or explain everything in this next half hour. We want to thank you that we are seeing a providential God and a God who is on his mission, and that involves not only Joseph, but involves us believers of you as you spread your kingdom. So make clear your word today. Um, Encourage us and challenge us to know your word better. Um, Allow us to hear more clarity as we reflect on your word with our family and friends throughout the week. And above all, let your name shine in our lives and be glorified in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So the first verse, if you caught it, the first verse said that there were two full years that went by and Joseph was still in prison. Two full years, he was forgotten. I wanna take a moment to mention this sort of very small mention in a very big passage that covers a span of several years because two years is an exceptionally long time, especially when you've been put in prison unjustly. And so if you remember from last week, after Joseph interprets the dream from the cupbearer and the baker, they leave, and Joseph is forgotten. And so now we have Pharaoh's dream. Not just one dream, but two dreams. His first dream, you have the seven cows by the riverbank that are eaten and swallowed up by seven unhealthy malnourished cows. It's a pretty trippy dream, if you ask me. So he wakes up, he's a little startled by that, and then he goes back to sleep and has a similar dream. Seven really healthy heads of grain that are sprouted out and that are consumed by seven grain, pieces of grain from the east wind. And so before I get into the interpretation of those dreams, let me ask you all, Where did those two dreams come from? They came from God, right? And so if you look at it, if you look at verse 25, it says, then Joseph said to Pharaoh, the dreams of Pharaoh are one and the same, and God has revealed to Pharaoh what he is about to do. Those dreams come from God. And this answer will be pretty important as we delve more deeper into our passage. So Pharaoh wakes up after he has those two really weird dreams, and he goes to summon these magicians and wise men and interpreters to see if they can interpret those dreams he had. But if you catch in the scripture, none of them could interpret the dream either. But that's really interesting. The people that were supposed to be able to at least interpret dreams can't interpret his dreams. Do you think that's coincidence? Was his dream, or at least did it sound too elaborate for them to interpret? I don't think so. I don't think so. But here's what's interesting. As he's going around scrambling, talking to the magicians, the interpreters, wise men, the cupbearer is with Pharaoh. And if you notice what he says in verse nine through 13, All it took was for the pharaoh to say, I had two dreams that can't be interpreted, for the cupbearer to remember that it took him two years to remember what Joseph urged him to do. The cupbearer forgot Joseph's request to be taken out of prison. He forgot. So two years passed. But the cupbearer also forgot something else when he explained to Pharaoh, when the cupbearer explained to Pharaoh that his dreams, that that Joseph was the man to interpret dreams, he did not mention that the dreams came from God. It It was almost as if the cupbearer remembered all of the details, every other detail, except that the dreams came from God. The cupbearer forgot that, but Joseph did not forget that the dreams came from God. As a matter of fact, that's the first thing that came out of Joseph's mouth when he was summoned to talk to Pharaoh. In verse 16, we look and see, I cannot do it, Joseph replied to Pharaoh, but God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. So what comes next? God provides Pharaoh with the interpretation, which is another foreshadowing of the future of the nation Of Egypt, right? A nation, a future that only God knows. And this interpretation is pretty vital because it will affect the nation of Egypt and its neighboring nations when the famine comes. And so these dreams are not a coincidence, but they are a pattern that are pointing to God's providence. And so when you think about this series and the past couple of sermons that we had here, Joseph's life, we see God's providence all throughout Joseph's life. Being born into favor with his father, it's God's providence. Even him being sold into slavery by his brothers, that's still providential. Him being imprisoned, being falsely accused of pursuing Potiphar's wife, that's God's providence. And now we're being brought to the very moment when Pharaoh is about to elect Joseph as his right-hand man, second-in-command. That's providential. And so God's providence was there when he was at Joseph's lowest moments. And it wasn't coincidence that God provided Pharaoh with the dream that would remind the cupbearer of how he forgot Joseph, the same person who was given the gift by God to interpret Pharaoh's dream so that not only the nation of Egypt's will take care, being taken care of during the famine, but neighboring nations as well will be taken care of during the famine. You see how those parts come together? It's not coincidence. It's God's providence, his divine providence. I really like the Psalm that says, the eyes of all look to you and you give them their food in due time you open your hand and satisfy the desire of every living thing. That's from Psalm 145, verses 15 and 16. And this is just one of the psalms that help us to see God's providence. But I like this psalm in particular because it reminds me that we are all dependent on God's providence. All of us should look to God for him to provide for us. And all of us are reminded at some point that we do not have things under control. And so that's what makes that passage so encouraging for me, right? The God who provided for Pharaoh's dream is also the same God who loved Joseph, gave him loads of favor, and blessed him in everything he did. God's plans for Joseph were providential, and I'll take it a step further. God's plans for you are providential. God's plans for me are providential. And so we can delight in the fact that we have a heavenly father who loves us far greater than any person could, who satisfies us way more than any recreation or job or hobby could. We must trust God that he will continue to provide for us in due time we have a Heavenly Father who helps us to realize that we are desperate for Him. And He's there not only to satisfy the desires that you and I have, but He satisfies the desires of every living thing. And if we're honest with ourselves, what we truly desire, what we truly want is relationship with Him, because we're His creation. And so that, to me, sounds like the love of a providential God. He's the one and only God who provides what we need in due time. And so let's go back to Genesis 41. We're going to pick back up at verse 33 as we look at God's mission. And so here's Genesis 41 verse 33. And now let Pharaoh look for a discerning and wise man and put him in charge of the land of Egypt let Pharaoh appoint commissioners over the land and take a fifth of the harvest of Egypt during the seven years of abundance. They shall collect all the food of these good years that are coming and store up the grain under the authority of Pharaoh to be kept in the cities for food. This food should be held in reserve for the country to be used during the seven years of famine that will come upon Egypt so that the country may not be ruined by the famine. The plan seemed good to Pharaoh and all his officials. So Pharaoh asked them, can we find anyone like this man, one in whom is the spirit of God? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has made all this known to you, there is no one so discerning and wise as you. You shall be in charge of my palace, and all my people are to submit to your orders. Only with respect to the throne will I be greater than you. So Pharaoh said to Joseph, I hereby put you in charge of the whole land of Egypt, then Pharaoh put his signet ring from his finger and put it on Joseph's finger. He dressed him in robes and fine linen and put a gold chain around his neck. He had him ride a chariot as his second in command, and people shouted before him, Make way! Thus he put him in charge of the whole land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh, but without your word, no one will lift hand or foot in all Egypt. Pharaoh gave Joseph the name Zephanith and gave him Asenath, daughter of Potiphar, priest of On, to his wife, to be his wife. And Joseph went throughout the land of Egypt. Joseph was 30 years old when he entered the service of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And Joseph went out from Pharaoh's presence and traveled throughout Egypt. During the seven years of abundance, the land produced plentifully. Joseph collected all the food produced in those seven years of abundance in Egypt and stored it in the cities. In each city, he put the food grown in the fields surrounding it. Joseph stored up huge quantities of grain, like the sand of the sea. It was so much that he stopped keeping records because it was beyond measure. Before the years of famine came, two sons were born to Joseph by Aseneth, daughter of Potiphar, priest of On. Joseph named his firstborn Masene, Man- Manasseh, and said. It is because God has made me forget all my trouble and all his father's household. The second son he named Ephraim and said, It is because God has made me fruitful in the land of my suffering. The seven years of abundance in Egypt came to an end, and the seven years of famine began, just as Joseph had said. There was famine in all the other lands, but in the whole land of Egypt, there was food. When all Egypt began to feel the famine, the people cried to Pharaoh for food. Then Pharaoh told all the Egyptians, go to Joseph and do what he tells you. When the famine had spread over the whole country, Joseph opened all the storehouses and sold grain to the Egyptians. For the famine was severe throughout Egypt. And all the world came to Egypt to buy grain from Joseph because the famine was severe everywhere. And so as we just mentioned before, clearly we see God's providence in this passage, but there's also God's mission as well, right? We picked up right where Joseph, he has interpreted the dream and he's telling Pharaoh what he should do, right? And then Pharaoh notices that Joseph has the spirit of God and immediately makes him his advisor, his right-hand man, the second in command. And so do they live happily ever after? No, they do not. This Joseph let out a big sigh and he's like, finally, I get some respect around here. Where's my gold chain? I would have said that. But um, Joseph does not do that or say that. What does he do? He is given proper attire to signal to everyone else that the nation of Egypt now has him as a second in command and he's given loads of responsibilities collecting food, storing the food around different cities of Egypt, recording the surplus, giving instruction to those who needed it, right? And I think those those things can all remind us that he continues on the Lord's mission. He continues on the Lord's mission, before, before I continue, I want to address what some of us might think when we hear about the word mission, right? Now, of course, traditionally, we may think about missions when it comes to uh, spreading God's word to all the nations, and yes, that's, that's a part of it. Even when we look at our own church, UCB, we do have missionaries, and it's, it's more than that, but it's, it's a bit more than that when we want to talk about mission right? When we talk about mission, I'm talking about something more than cross-cultural communication to the gospel. We're talking about the Lord's mission. It is God's bringing his kingdom to life while we're here on earth. It's God bringing his kingdom to life while we're here on earth, Theologian and missiologist Chris Wright, he asks that that definition, and he says that it's God's purpose and goal for this world. God's mission is, is his purpose and goal for this world. So in his providence, he also provides us with his mission. And if we look a little closer to Scripture we can make the connection that Joseph being brought to become Pharaoh's advisor during the times of plenty and the times of famine is confirmation of God's mission for Abraham. So do you remember what we said when we flipped back in Genesis in verse chapter 12, Genesis 12? First three verses talk explicitly about God's mission for Abraham. The Lord has said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So as we fast forward to Genesis 41, the very people of Egypt are blessed during the famine because of God's providence and his mission for his people. So how does, that, how does that feel for you when you read or are reminded of Genesis 12, right? Do you see yourself in your life in that passage? Maybe there are some reservations you have about Genesis 12. I mean, sure, this might connect to Joseph's life and his story, but how does that relate to me? How does that relate to you? Some of us might be struggling with with that or even taking a step further, might be struggling with our identity and say to ourselves, well, what's my purpose in life? Am I a part of God's mission? I want to say that it's okay to ask those questions, right? And if we're honest with ourselves, then some of those questions sound pretty familiar because they've come from us. And so it's okay to ask those questions. And I'll take it a step further. It's not only okay to ask those questions, but you're not alone when you ask those questions. But can I say this? Can I say that maybe God is using your curiosity or your confusion to bring you closer to him? So, so, so what do we do with, with that when we have those questions? So I'm going to zoom out a little bit to answer this question. So If you have that question of, am I part of God's mission, then if you have that burning inside of you and you're wondering how to wrestle with that question, then I definitely urge you to pray about it, definitely. Talk to people you trust, Christian family and friends, and even church leadership that can help you process that question as well. You're not alone when you ask that question. And just like many of us, we're we're not high-ranking officials like Joseph. But as believers, we are called to image God in whatever profession, field, classroom, and home that we find ourselves in. You see, Bax talked about this during his last sermon, right? Right? We are called to be on God's mission in making this fallen world reflect his glory. And we have a duties as brothers and sisters, and that duty can be found in his word. His word, the scriptures, are not just a a record of history, but it's all pointing to Jesus, and it is calling us to action. It is what God is calling his creation to do, and we are his creation. And so if you remember what I asked you at the beginning of the sermon, do you have things under control? Most of us would say no. And so honestly, there's a lot of things that are out of our control in our lives, so much so that sometimes we can feel that we've lost sight of God's providence in our lives and in the lives of those around us. But God did not forget Joseph, and God does not forget you or me. He hasn't forgotten about us, so how can we be certain of that? Well, we can be certain because of the most single most providential act that God has performed for humanity. God provided his son, Jesus Christ, his one and only son to take on our sins and become the only way in which we are redeemed. God's providence is so evident on the cross because God allowed Jesus to take the fall for the sins that we have committed in our past and the sins that we will commit in the future. That is providential. We can begin to see how Jesus dying on the cross once and for all is providential. Right? God did not have to send Savior after Savior after Savior to redeem us of our sins. No. One son lived and died one time, rose again one time to rescue all of humanity. That is providential. It's because of God's providence on the cross that we are part of God's mission. And the only way that we are able to be invited to participate in the mission of God is through Christ's resurrection. And so we cannot answer the call of God by any means of our own. We don't have it under control. We cannot simply get our sins under control. We can't just control our own fleshly desires. We, ne- we can't even control our own destiny despite what the world says. Jesus Christ is the answer that you and I have been searching for. He is our daily bread. He is in control. Jesus is what we need and nothing else can satisfy us. His life, his death, his resurrection on the cross is the solution to what is plaguing this world. And because of the fall, we are born into this world knowing one thing for certain that there is a serious problem with humanity and the world around us that cannot be fixed by human labor or technology or even the hope in the next generation. You see, Joseph's favor was a result of God's love for him. And so we see God's providence show up in his life. What about ours? You have your questions, you have your fears, you're you're waiting even. All of that is not a coincidence to God. As a matter of fact, your questions, your doubts, your fears, all of that is God might be inviting you, inviting your questions, your fears, because he wants you. And God provided his son to take on and conquer the death that we deserved because he loves us. He loves us and wants us to be invited to be a part of his mission. And so let's go to him in prayer as we thank him for providing Jesus for us and providing his mission for us. Father God, thank you for your word. Thank you for providence that you have shown us not only in Joseph's life, but in ours. God, you know us. You know us all too well. You know the number of hairs on our head. And you knew that humanity would need Jesus. And so you sent him, your one and only son, to die for us so that we can be reconciled back to you. That is indeed providential. And so we thank you for that, and we thank you for the mission that you invite us to. You didn't have to, if if we're going to be honest. You did not have to invite us into your mission. Your mission in sending Jesus and the redemptive work that he's done is complete, but as we live life on this earth, we're still accomplishing that mission, which is to reflect your character and your glory here on this earth, and we consider it a privilege to do that, and so as we go home and meditate on this word, help us as, as we're on your mission. Help us to wrestle with our questions. Help us to see ourselves in your providence and your mission um, not only in the life of Joseph, but in our lives. Help us with that. This is going to only be done by your, your power and your grace. So we ask for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you would like more information or would like to support the ministry of UCB, please visit our website at ucbogotá.org.